you are acknowledging my authority. And what we're going to discover today that the, the, the assumed position that you see over and over again in the scriptures, when, 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 when Christians were assuming the position, two things were consistently happening. They were praying and praising. So going forth from today, when I say as your pastor, assume the position, that means we need to start praying and praising. So as we turn our attention to a portrait, a look, a, 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 we want to glean from the book of Acts where the church of Jesus Christ starts. What the church in the first century looked like because it is the model, it is the template that we are so are we that we are required to follow. Now there are two key passages that we're going to consider because the book of Luke was written by Dr. Luke. And his book focuses on the humanity of Christ. But the same Luke wrote the book of Acts. So in order to understand what occurs in the book of Acts, you have to read the last chapter of the book of Luke where Jesus instructs his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to tarry there so that they can wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Not the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. And so Luke writes both of these books. And the key verses in, in, in each of the chapters, uh, in verse uh, 14 of, of Acts, the, the scripture says, they all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. But the focus I want you to underscore is they, they came together, and while they were together, they were constantly Assuming the position, they were in prayer. And then Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 53, after Jesus ascends, ascends into heaven, Luke writes, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So when they weren't praying, they were praising. Because assuming the position in the New Testament church, in the model that God has set for us, always included prayer and praising. And, and what we're going to discover, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, are not secular, are, 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 are not of the flesh, but they are mighty to the pulling down, to breaking down, to bringing to nothing the weapons, the weapons, the spiritual weapons of the enemy our weapons are mighty, but they're not of this world. They're not fleshly. They're mighty to the pulling down, the pulling down of stronghold. And two weapons that we have, prayer and praise. Knockout punches, combination, prayer and praise, prayer and praise. So I want to consider the blueprint to help us to understand how God use the prayers and the praise of the church to bring the promise to pass. 
There's some promises that God made that are unconditional, whether you do something or not. But then there are some conditional promises. The Lord told them to go to Jerusalem to tarry. The condition for the Holy Ghost to come required that they go to Jerusalem. There's some promises that God has for you. And you're waiting for the promise, but the Lord has told you to go. He's told you to do some other things. And when we obey, when we assume the position, he will answer our prayers. Now, the first thing I want you to consider about the New Testament ecclesia, the called out body of Christ, the set apart ones, the, the gathering, the assembling of those who have been set apart from sin unto Christ. The word ecclesia simply is our English word for church, is that Jesus Christ is the author of the blueprint for the church. Jesus is the author, the creator, the originator, the progenitor, the progenitor of the church. He started this thing. That takes us back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 17, 18. Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And then Peter responding for the other 11, he said, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and many think you're a great teacher and you're a, a, a miracle worker. And then Christ says, but who do you say that I am? Ultimately, all of us are going to have to answer that question because every one of us will give an account before Almighty God. You're going to have to answer the question of who Jesus is. The reason you need to answer that question and get it right now is because Jesus is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life, and no one can come unto the Father except by me. And so Peter said, let me, let me tell you who he is, Jesus. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are Messiah that was promised. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are the eternal. That means that, Jesus, I recognize you as the God-man. You are both God and man. Paul put it this way. He said, he who existed in the form of God, Jesus, did not regard becoming equal to God, something that he had to earn. He was always equal to God, but he, the word, became flesh. And the Bible said he dwelled among us, and we beheld the glory of the only Mogul Ganes, the only unique son, the only one of his kind. He came. He is the god Man. And Jesus said, Peter, he didn't say he was wrong. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal my identity to you. You ain't going to figure out who Jesus is by taking a Bible class. You're not going to figure out Jesus by, by, by following mom and dads. You, you gotta, you, the Bible says, but as many as received him. The reason you can receive him, the Bible says, no man can come unto him except the Spirit draws you. And then so, so what, what Jesus was saying, the Spirit has revealed the truth about who I am. And then Christ says, you are Peter, Petros, rock, little rock, stone, pebble. And he says, upon, he uses another word, upon this rock, Petra. A boulder, a massive stone. I am going to build my church and the gates of Hades 
will not prevail. He said, the reason why it won't prevail, he said, I'm going to give you some keys that enable you to have some power and authority so that you can loose and bind things on earth that have been loosed and bound in heaven. Jesus is the author of the church. He's the founder. He says, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. The church is not a physical building. The church is the body of Christ. The the scripture says you are the church and that the spirit of God dwells in you. So that means wherever you are, if you're saved, that's where the church is. I used to believe that the Lord was only in the church building. And I'd be cussing and lying, lusting and manipulating. And then we'd walk by the church. I'd say, oh, hold up a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Across the street. And then I started lying and <laughs> didn't realize that my professing Christian self, <laughs> I am the church. You are the church. And so the church is not a building, but it's the body of Christ. The building is where the church meets sometimes. We could go outside and have church. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Not only is Jesus the founder of the church, he's the foundation of the church. He said, upon this rock, upon this foundation, I will build my church. And the Catholics got this wrong. When he says, you are Peter upon this rock, they say, oh, he built the rock upon the first pope who was Peter. No, no, no. The word he uses for Peter, he, first he started with Simon Bar Jonah, referring to Simon in his unsaved state. And he said, now that you know who I am, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Little Rock. But the rock that the church is built on, Peter, is the kind of faith that the Holy Spirit caused you to exercise that makes you recognize that I am both God and man. And so whoever accepts Christ as both God and man, you are becoming and have become a part of the solid rock, which is in Jesus. So the the rock that the church is built on is faith that Peter exercised when we exercise that Jesus is both God and man. Somebody say amen. I like the way the apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he gives a warning. He says, by the grace God has given me, And here's, I want to just challenge you all. Make sure you get in this word. Make sure you you, you read the scripture so that you're not basing what you're saying about the church on, man, I didn't feel nothing today. The praise and worship could have gone a little longer. She didn't shout and she didn't, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's look at the word to determine what church should look like. Follow the blueprint. Paul says, by the grace of God given to me, I lay a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Be careful when it comes to the church. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the solid rock upon which we stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Now, you can have a group of folk gather in a building, standing room only. In the past, I can scream and do somersaults. Look pretty doing it. Big choir, large budget. Everybody's talking about them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's the church to go to. But if the church is not following the blueprint of Christ, a blueprint is a design that explains what materials are needed for the church, what rules have to be followed by those who call themselves the church, and the requirement for becoming a part of the church. Jesus decides that because he says, I will build my church. And when he said it was future tense, the church did not exist in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church. The church comes into existence in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so if you don't follow the blueprint, we, we've gotten so far away from the word of God, you got all kinds of rascals talking about their preachers and I'm an apostle, I'm a bishop. I'm, you, know, you don't went somewhere and made yourself these things. We better be careful. We better be careful. The church of Laodicea in, in Romans chapter 3, they were, I mean, they were proud of themselves. They say, we are wealthy. We are rich. We got it going on. We got vision. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. We are the church that everybody should want to be a part of. And Jesus said, let me tell you how I feel about you. He said, you make me sick to my stomach. He said, you're neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm. And he says, the reason why you're lukewarm is because you, you don't understand. You're not following the template. You've decided that you're rich. You've decided that you're clothed. But when I look at you, you're, you're naked, you're poor, and blind. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. Jesus said, I'm not in attendance. The music is playing. Folks are shouting and, and, and speaking in tongues. He said, but I'm not in the service. I'm knocking at the door and I'm saying, if you allow me to come in, if you allow me to be in charge of my own church, I will come in. And we can have fellowship. But I'm not obligated to show up at something you made up. Jesus is the author of the church. He's also the authority. He's the one, the authority and the power to protect the church and its progress comes from Jesus. The authority and the power to protect the church and to cause the church to progress comes from Jesus. Say it comes from Jesus. He says the gates of Hades. I used to get upset when I saw that in the NIV or the New King James. I used to, I want to see the gates of hell. But in the original, it doesn't say hell. It said the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. Hades in the Greek is the same word for Sheol in the Old Testament. It's the, the realm of the dead. It's where dead people go when they die. It's the grave. It's a place where physical bodies are placed 
And over time, they corrode, and, 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 they, and they, they return back to ashes that the, that the body decomp decompensates. And, and one of the things that the Lord promised to confirm that he was not just David's physical son, he said that the Lord will not allow my body to suffer corrosion. He says that in Matthew chapter 24 when he said, who was David talking to when he said his body will not suffer? He goes, Jesus will not suffer. So, anyway, so, so Hades is the place where dead bodies are buried. It's the graveyard. It's Sheol. And what the Lord says is one of the things, the picture is this, that, de that the, the attack on the church from the enemy is to place the church in the realm of dead things. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The, the enemy is trying to kill the church. And Jesus says, nothing can kill the church, not even the realm of the dead, because everything that's living in the church is not an organization. It is an organism made up of, of people who have placed their trust in Christ, and everything that is alive dies, but the church, the church can't die. Now, a lot of churches have closed. The pandemic killed some churches. Scandals by pastors have killed some churches. Sexual abuse has killed some churches and, and bankrupt them because of the lawsuits. False prophets and cliques in the church have killed some congregations. But Jesus said, my church will prevail against the realm of anything that comes against it to kill the church. The church will live. I don't care what's going on around us. Oh, they ain't coming back. Once the doors of the church get open, people are done with the church, and people are sick and tired of organized religion. I ain't talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with the Lord, where the Lord says, do not forsake the assembling together. Come on, some forsake the assembling together as some do but coming together because we're two or three. Am I right about we're two or three are gathered in my name? Something about coming into the house of the Lord and being around believers and those who have called on that name as above every name. The church will never die. My question is, are you a part of that church? The church, even Hades, whatever the devil erects, to try to destroy the church. So that's the protective element of Christ, that I will protect my church from anything that would make it irrelevant, anything that would try to eliminate the influence of the church. Now, we got before men to die. The Lord just puts Ichabod in front of the church. The glory of the Lord has departed. And so there are a lot of churches who have doors open, but God has put the spiritual foreclosed sign on it, Ichabod. Ichabod, the authority of the church comes from the Lord. He said, I'm going to protect my church. He said, I'm going to give you some keys. Every Christian has keys that when the devil, so this is while, while protecting the church from dying is defensive, the keys are offensive. They're things that the devil has stolen. The things that the devil has taken from your life, that is taken from the Lord. He said, I'm going to give you keys. I'm going to give you authority over those things that would prevent the church from progressing. 
And so we can pray over sick people and they'll be healed. We can pray and ask God for wisdom and he'll give you a word of knowledge and you'll know something about a person's situation. There's no way you should have known. There's no way that you should have said it when you said it. There's no way that you should have done it when you did it. There's no way that you should have known to call them or text them. But the word of God, because we have these keys, the doors may be locked, but when we are loosing and binding, the Lord opens up doors for the church. You have authority. Are you using it? Oh, there's so much more I could say. Move on. And so the author of the church is Jesus. The authority over the church is Christ. He protects his church. He causes us to be able to progress. The church is not an aquarium where we watch the fish. We have been called to be fishers of men. Go into the world to reach the world. Let's, let's finish up with this. Activating the power and the authority of Christ promise to the church starts when, when the believers assume the position. And so Christ is the author of the church. He gives authority to the church. But what activates the authority that the author of the church has provided is when we assume. None of this would have happened if they hadn't assumed. The scripture says in Luke chapter 24, that you'll catch that later. Stay with me. Luke chapter 24. This is a powerful passage. You ought to read it sometimes. It's in your Bible. You have the master's class. You're talking about a master's class. The Bible says, he who once was dead and now is alive, he appeared to his disciples. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he taught his disciples. Would you have liked to be a part of that class? I know you like coming to my class. I know you like hearing my preaching. But Jesus was the teacher of this master's class. And he appeared to them, and when he showed up, they were terrified. Why would they tell? Because he was dead. They saw him hung on the cross. They saw him put in the tomb. And now here he is standing in front of them, and they say, a ghost. They thought Jesus was a ghost. And he said, I'm glad they thought he was a ghost, because that helps us to understand the theological significance of the resurrection, what that really means. Jesus said, it's me. He said, can you touch a ghost? No. Can you see a ghost? No. He said, well, here's what I want you to do to understand that I'm not a ghost. Touch the wounds in my hand. Come on and feel the pierced wound in my side. It's in here. And touch my feet where the nails were, were driven through. And they still were scratching their head. He said, all right, give me some grub. This is the part I like. Our resurrected body, we can still eat. I'm going to be able to say, fried fish, please. I take a slide of potato salad, and I want me some collard greens, and give me some pecan pie, and oh, man, I ain't going to worry about no spandex then. Oh, God, Jesus said, give me something to eat. And these jokers gave him baked fish and honey. But he ate it. Which means that the resurrected body is a physical body. The Bible says it's a glorified body. It can walk through closed doors. It can walk through brick walls. It can fly, lives never to die. The Bible says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see Jesus, 
we shall be like him. For we what? We shall see him. Anybody want to see Jesus? We shall see him and we shall be like him. We will have the same kind of body Jesus had, the fish-eating kind. Not only did he appear, he answered their questions about God's plan. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did, he, why did I need to be buried and resurrected from the dead? He answered the question. He said, the Bible says, he took them to the scriptures. You ought to try them sometime. And he said, here's the purpose, so that we can proclaim, preaching in Jesus' name, the good news that through repentance, mankind can be forgiven for their sins. So the purpose for the death and burial of Jesus is so that we can proclaim to a dying world that if they trust what Jesus did, plus nothing else, we can have our sins removed and forgiven. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad about that? And he said, just in case you got questions about the plan and the purpose, he says somewhere in that passage, he said, you are the proof because you are my witnesses that what the scriptures say were going to happen, here I am. The greatest proof of the power of the gospel is the changes that the Lord has made in your life because if any man any woman, any boy, girl, somebody ought to be excited about that. If you are in Christ, you are a what? New, we know that creation, all things have passed away. And so he said in the master's class, he appeared, he answered their questions. And when he finished answering their questions, the Bible said he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, verse 10 and 11, it says, the angels appear and they said, why are you standing here gawking? Why are you stunned? Because in the same way that Jesus of Nazareth has ascended bodily form, now seated at the right hand of the Father as a glorified uh, man, he will return again. Somebody say amen. So he ascended after he answered their questions and appeared. And the scripture said, he gave the, the command. He says, go and tarry. Say go. go. And tarry. And, and guess what they did? They went. <laughs> they assumed the position. He did, here's what he didn't tell them. He didn't tell them what to do when they got there. They automatically knew. What every Christian should know, when you're waiting for an answer from the Lord, guess what you do? You pray. The only question is, how do you get everybody together at the same time in the same place? Like at 6 o'clock in the morning, the first 15. The Bible says that they met in an upper room and they continually prayed together for 10 days. And when they left the room, having prayed together for 10 days, the scripture says they went to the temple 
and do the other thing that Christians do. They kept on continuously praising the Lord. One of the reasons we come together is for prayer. And it also is to praise the Lord. I can't praise him for you. I can't celebrate the goodness of the Lord for you. I can't tell anybody what he's doing in your life right now. But what I do know is that the Bible says if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. And so they assumed the position as they were waiting for the indwelling move of the Holy Spirit that happens in the next chapter. Stay tuned for the next chapter. They assume. They assume. They assume. They assume. They assume. What's, the, what's the position? Pray. They, they, knew, they knew the priority of prayer. Men ought to always pray. They knew the privilege to pray. Let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. They knew the, the purity of prayer, the sincere it's furnace, effectual prayers of the righteous have great effect. So you got to pray with sincerity. They knew the purity of prayer. They knew the pleasantness of prayer. God is pleased when we pray. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. They also knew the positions of posture of prayer. You can pray standing up. You can pray while you're driving your car. You can pray in front of your kitchen sink. You can pray when you're on your face. You can pray lifting up your hands to heaven. You can pray with your head bent down. You can pray with your hands stretched out. There's no singular position. But they understood that when it was time to get Jesus' attention, the way you do that is through praise and prayer. You assume. You assume the position. Stand with me. Somebody say amen. amen. Assume the position. Instead of cussing people out, assume the position. Instead of taking that drink, assume, oh, we don't drink, but assume the position. Instead of giving in to the feelings of depression, assume the position of prayer and praise. Instead of giving into an angry outburst, why don't you pray and give God some praise? Instead of being overwhelmed by worries and she don't like me, he don't like me, that don't like me, I don't feel this and I don't feel that, assume. Assume the position. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Assume the position with the posture of prayer. I want you to understand that prayer can do anything that God can do. Nothing great will ever happen without prayer. I don't care what mountain that you're facing. The Lord said, if you have faith the size of the mustard seed and you pray, that obstacle will move. Now, there's some conditions that you may have some unforgiveness in your heart. You may have some revenge in your heart. I want you to understand. Somebody said, well, how am I going to forgive my enemies and all the things they did to me? I said, here's your assignment. I want you to write down the names of every one of your enemies, everybody that's done you wrong. I don't care how long the list is. And for the next 30 days, I want you to pray for them by name. Ah, I can't do that. I can't do that. I said, then you don't want to forgive. The kind of forgiveness that the Lord allows us to do. He said, don't think when you pray, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, that your sins are going to be forgiven either. No, I can't pray for my enemies 
but in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't. But I, they can't stay my enemies in my heart if I'm praying for them. Something will happen. Something gets loose. Something gets bound when we pray, even for those who hate us. I challenge you to start praying. I challenge you to join us for the first 15 minutes, starting your day. I don't want to miss it. I'm not a morning person. I've said that. But, Lord, I don't want to miss the first 15 now that I'm, I'm in. Assume the position. If you're here today with every head bowed and all eyes closed, you have not made the decision to accept the one who appeared to the disciples, and they were afraid, and you may be afraid uh, that you lack perfection, that you don't have it all together. There are things you need. Oh, yeah, but Jesus, the one who appeared to them, he said, come as you are. And I will no wise cast you out. Come just like you are. Broken, confused, hurt. I will not cast you out. The purpose for my coming was to make forgiveness and acceptance into the family of God possible. So like Peter, he says, you are the Christ. The son. If you make that declaration, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is curious, that Jesus is Lord, and that he died for your sins, he's both God and man, he says, you shall be saved. You will be saved. So if you desire right now to accept Christ into your life, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, the way they're killing people, just murdering people viciously every time you think you've heard the worst that you could hear or see the worst that you could hear there's something that is just beyond imagination that's it's like evil is trying to outdo itself and so today is the day of salvation tomorrow it's not promised to any of us so if you're hearing the voice of the Lord saying come would you raise your hand right now with all eyes closed and heads bowed is the Lord saying to you come come I will give you life. I will give you the joy that you've been searching for. I will give you direction because I am the compass for which you were made. I'll give you the direction because I'm going to order your steps. Is there one that would say yes? Is there one that would say yes? Is there somebody here that has trusted Christ, but you know that you're not living according to the will of the Lord? You have been straying. You've been living in sin. And the Holy Spirit is saying, return, return. And you have sensed that conviction on your heart today. If you want to make that rededication decision, would you raise your hand right now? I want to recommit my life to Christ. Are you here today and you don't have a church home? You want to become a part of this church family? Would you raise your hand? We will love you. We will involve you. We have life groups that are going to be starting soon that you can be a part of. And you get to know us personally. We'll get to know you. And we will be there for you. We will do life together. Is there one that desires to be a part of this fellowship? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless your name. We thank you for what you have said today. I pray that the word that has gone forth would go deep into the hearts of those who have heard that we would learn not to respond in the flesh, but to respond by assuming the position of prayer and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Today is Communion Sunday, so we're going to ask if you can stay to join us for the first communion of uh, the fall, moving into the fall. Would you just have a seat? Uh, if you have to leave, we'll understand. Uh, but uh, so we do invite you to join us. We're going to ask the officers if they would come.
as we prepare for communion. Praise the Lord.